Well, friends, it's uh, great to be with you. I'll talk a bit so you get used to my accent. Can you understand me yet? Is that okay? Um, but it's really good to be with you. Um, it's been great. I've known Matt uh, for a number of years. We bump into each other in conferences, uh, in Bath and different places, I, like, I think, like that. Um, and Pete for a number of years. Um, I can remember Pete about 20 years ago. Um, as, a, as a younger pastor, sometimes we'd have our Sundays off and we'd uh, go down the M4, go down to Christchurch, and we'd sit and listen to you preach and, and the other people. And it was such an encouragement for us. Um, and one of the wonderful things um, in the Christian faith um, is seeing people go on in the faith for years. Um, it's one of the things I find the most encouraging, is when you see someone who's still in the faith 5, 10, 15, 20 years later, particularly friends. But if we're honest, perhaps you're here this morning, and actually you know what it is to have had a friend who is no longer claiming to be a Christian. Let me give you uh, some examples of perhaps friendships that have struggled. Uh, Jane, for example, she'd been a Christian for 25 years. When she married her husband, he was a Christian. But now he's left the church and wants nothing to do with the faith. Or what about Frank? Now, Frank's story is slightly different. Um, he was part of a prayer triplet for five years, and they were a real band of brothers. They really encouraged one another. But one of the prayer partners has had a promotion. He's had to move away with work, and now that prayer triplet is struggling. No one's fallen away, but he's feeling hurt, a bit confused. Or what about Jessica? Jessica is a sixth form student. She's part of the school Christian Union. Her and some of her friends uh, were in science the other week. And during that science lesson, the teacher started to mock Christians and what they believed and picked on Jessica in particular. And she looked around and all of her Christian friends just looked the other way. And no one stood up for her. They just kept quiet. I wonder, are you here this morning and you've been let down by a Christian at some point? Maybe you've got deep wounds of a close friend who's left the faith. Or maybe you're hurt, but not sinned against, just because a friend has moved away. Or maybe you felt left alone, feeling like you're the only Christian. Now, I've been over the summer preaching a series on friendship. So when I was asked, what do you want to preach on? I said, well, I've just been preaching on friendship. Could I do one of these? Um, and I found over the summer, when we were preaching on friendship, one of the messages that stood out for us as the church was the reality of struggles in friendship, particularly Christian friendships. Because sometimes we think, become a Christian, Christian friends are going to be brilliant. It's going to be like floating on a cloud. What can be better? But actually, there can be real struggles. And even in a church, now I, I don't, even though I, I know Pete and, and Matt and I hear things about you, you've got friends in Bristol, some of our friends' kids come to your kids' work at different times, so you know, we hear encouraging things, but I don't know things, but I'm going to make an assumption this morning. And this assumption isn't based on you, but it's based on my understanding of the church, the doctrine of sin, and reality. I'm going to assume... You know what it is to have gossip and slander in the church. You know what it is to have broken promises. You know what it is to have unforgiveness. Or just being left out. Or perhaps sometimes people not noticing a need. Let's be honest, if one word summed up the church, it would be messy. Now, I don't know. I don't know the church. Was I right? Should we put our hands up? Was I... No, don't do that. But it's true. Church can be hard. Now, what I want to do is help us to think through that by looking at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 to 22. So if you've got a Bible, please open to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 to 22. 
I find that the lists of names at the end of the New Testament epistles are some of the most exciting passages of the Bible. I get really excited. Romans 16, for example, is one of my favorite chapters in Romans, which is crazy when you consider how many amazing chapters in Romans there are. But I love this insight into the early church and all that we learn from it. So let me read for you. I'm reading from the NIV. I hope that's okay. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 to 22. And as you're turning there, let me just remind you, um, Paul is in prison as he writes this. So this isn't armchair theology. He's actually getting ready to be martyred. And he's writing to his son in the faith, Timothy at Corinth. And this is his last ever letter. So we're actually going to read the last written words of Paul. How is he going to end his ministry? How is he going to end his scripture writing? This is how he ends it. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the court I left with Carpus, Atroas, and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he's done. You too should be on your guard against him, because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support. But everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus, Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus ill in Miletus. Do your best to get you before winter. Eublus greets you, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. It's a great chapter, isn't it? It's much more interesting than David and Goliath, isn't it? I mean, what's going on? A list of names and all these different things and Paul being left on his own. What an inspiring passage for the morning. Uh, But actually, I think this passage is really helpful for us to learn how to navigate church um, in this fallen world. Now, I want to tell you three things about gospel friendship this morning. First thing I want to tell you is this. Gospel friendship, friendship amongst Christians, is hard. Don't you find it fascinating that Paul ends his ministry in relationship nightmares? They are relationship nightmares, aren't they? Let me tell you some reasons why gospel friendship is hard. The first one is because there are different types of people in gospel friendships. If you were to do a word study and a name study through this passage, you'd start to see that there are um, different types of names. Um, You can see that even in a church today, and you'll start to see that some names are from England, some are from Wales, some might be from other countries around the world, different ethnicities, nationalities, and backgrounds. And when you read the New Testament letters, you see that there are different ethnicities. There's Jewish names and there's Gentile names. But actually in the New Testament, if you've read through the New Testament, you'll know that that was actually quite tense. The New Testament church was Jew and Gentile brought together, but there were some teething problems to say the least. Do you remember when they were trying to look after the widows in Acts 6? 
and they started to favour the ones from their kind of background and nationality. And others started to feel left out, and then they were trying to interpret what was going on so difficultly. It's really hard not to start to stick with your own clique. It would be a real temptation for me this morning, can I admit this, if someone after the service comes up to me and speaks in Welsh, it will be very tempting for me just to speak in Welsh to them. Speak the language of heaven with another glorious Welsh person. It would be wonderful. And then we'd all, we'd all start talking about you and the English and your terrible rugby team. I mean, we could read, anyway, let's not get into it. But it would be a temptation. We've got to watch that. The New Testament is full of that, but it's not just banter. Actually, it's deep. When you read the life and ministry of Paul and Peter, Peter, who was such a great Christian, who knew what it was to fail and be restored, even he, do you remember at one point, started to say, I better not eat with the Gentiles, better stick with my own people, and Paul had to go and confront him to his face. Gospel friendship is hard. And it's not just different nationalities, it's actually different types of social class. So in lists like this, you'll get tent makers in there and you'll get city officials. You get people who are just down with everybody else and others who are going through the ranks. And again, read the New Testament. You'll have churches where they were literally reserving the best seats for the rich. Or where within a church like Corinth, you'd have the rich and the famous who would be set apart and kind of elevated. Now, the wonderful thing about the church is you get this problem because the church is the one place in society where the reason you come together is not because of your nationality and it's not because of your social status. That has nothing to do with it. Um, I love the way C.S. Lewis defines friendship. C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia. He's got this great book on loves. And when he comes to the, the love of friendship, he said a friend is someone who you're talking to and then you go, what, you two? Do you know your, your best friend's like that? I've got a best friend. And it's both because we both think that Richie Sambora is the greatest guitarist of all time. I've lost two thirds of the room. Anyway, it's the guitarist from Bon Jovi. And the Chesney Hawks is more than a one hit wonder. That puts my culture somewhere, okay? And I remember us talking and he was like, what, you two? You love the same music as me. And we've been best friends ever since. And really that's how we make friends. You find people, what, you two? But actually for the Christian, the what you too should be Jesus. You love Jesus too. And everything else isn't the important factor. The most important thing that brings us together is Jesus. So that should mean that when you look at a church and, and you scratch under the surface, we should all be very different people. You would hope that when someone who isn't a Christian, and if you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, I'd hope that you'd look around and think, what are these all doing in a room together? How do they get on? There should be a sense that outside the church, we would naturally be in different groups. But it's Jesus that brings us together. And that means that, believe it or not, gospel friendship is hard. Because we are so different. Our friendships in church shouldn't be based on age, nationality, interests, financial position, job, marital status, children, team-supported or personality types. We should be friends with everyone. Now, let me, let me pause and, and, and put an aside here. That doesn't mean that you don't have different levels of friendship. Um, there are different types of friendships in church. And you see that in the life of Jesus, don't you? 
So, for example, Jesus did have a best friend, a closest friend, John. John loves to talk about the fact that he is the, apostle, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's always there. But, but actually, it wasn't just John. John was really close. And let's be fair. I mean, Jesus said, look after my mother. If you want to judge the depth of a friendship, there's the depth for you. But then as well, you've got the three of which John was a part. You've got the amazing Peter and James coming in really close on those high points, like the Mount of Transfiguration. There you were there. But in those low points, like going to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, there you were there. You do have a group of friends who see you through everything, the good and the bad. But then there was the 12. And the 12 weren't in everything that the three of the 12 were in. But that's okay. Because you can't have everybody in everything, knowing everything all the time. You make judgments. So all of our friends are of different kinds, and there are different kinds of friendship. And when you look into it, he even had the 72. And then he knew more than the 72. And then he had friends for short periods of time, like the woman of Samaria. And you could go on and on, but that's a sermon for another day. There are limits to how different friendships work in the church. But our friendship should never be limited. should never be limited to certain types of people. The only thing that we have in common is Jesus. So gospel friendship is hard because of that. It is hard because of that. And, and more than that, just like in normal life, gospel friendship is hard because we have difficult situations in life. I don't know if you noticed some of them. Um, let me look at them. Uh, chapter uh, Verse 20, for example. Um, Do your best to get you before winter. Eublis um, greets you, as do Prudence, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters in Christ. That's verse 21, and I said verse 20, didn't I? But you look, I'm just checking you're looking at your Bibles. Verse 20, Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus ill in Miletus. People get ill. That can make friendship difficult. People can get ill physically, emotionally, psychologically. Indeed, Paul at this point is in jail. That's a difficult place for someone to be um, a friend. Um, I've got a good friend at the moment from childhood. He's in jail. It's not, it's not the easiest place to go and visit. You can't just turn up unannounced and rock into the jail. You've got to sort it out. You've got to go and make it. You've got to get through security. And then sometimes it's harder to get out, which always worries me. Um, but actually, Paul would have been, in those days, a difficult friend to have. And sometimes friends really turn on you. Have a look at verses 14 and 15. Alexander the metal worker did a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he's done. You two should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. It's hard, isn't it? Sometimes someone falls out with someone else and then turns on all the friends. Have you ever had that? Um, I remember when we first arrived in our church in Abergavenny, uh, someone who really had taken the hump with the church, used to be a member of the church, decided to turn against the church, and then bought every domain name that was close to the domain name of our church, put fake websites on every single one, and then took out Google ads. So for the first six months of being in the church, everybody's like, where's John gone? And they'd go on, they'd be like, John, what church have you gone to? It's saying all manner of things here, that you're witches and all of this. I'm like, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's hard because sometimes people turn on you. It's hard. Gospel friendship is difficult but gospel friendships are meant to be difficult i think and we need to look at jesus and the way he was a friend can you imagine jesus choosing the 12 now 
a theological point. Jesus was God. I think as a church you've taught that. And Jesus is God, just before someone points out my heresy there. Jesus is God, and Jesus knows and knew all things. Imagine choosing the twelve. He chose Judas, even though he knew he was going to betray him. Or what about Peter? He chose him, even though he knew he was going to deny him three times. In fact, he told Peter just as much. Could it be that actually as Christians, we choose friendships even though we know they're going to be hard? That's huge, isn't it? There's a, a phrase that gets put around sometimes, high-maintenance friends. And what we mean by that is we don't want them. I wonder whether gospel friendships, it's okay to be high-maintenance. That's okay, because I am the highest-maintenance friend that Jesus has got. And I'm really glad he's four high-maintenance friends. He does everything. And there are people in gospel friendships who just leave you and walk away. I mean, look again. It's sad, isn't it? Verse 10, Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. You know, he turns up. If, we, if you read these lists, he turns up in Philemon, verse 24, being sent with the greetings. He's doing so, so well. But he loved this present world and he gave up on Jesus. And this can be hard. And then sometimes people leave and there's no scandal. Halfway through verse 10, um, he goes on and talks about Cretans who's gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. People just leave and it's hard. But the heart of the passage is verse 16. Have a look at this, verse 16. At my first defense, so Paul's being attacked. They're going after him. At my first defense, no one came to my support. And to make sure you understand what he's saying and you don't misunderstand him, but everyone deserted me. This is, as one commentator calls it, the saddest verse in all of 2 Timothy. At his greatest time of lead, he was left alone and everyone deserted him. And he states it twice. So John Stott, the great um, Bible teacher, says this. Everybody left him either because Christian friends could not or would not. He was unsupported and alone. I find this really interesting. So here's the question. What happened? We, we don't really know the background. But we know that no one was there. Now, I think some weren't there because they didn't want to be there. And some weren't there because they just couldn't get there. And there's a big difference there, isn't there? We're talking 2,000 years ago. He's living far away. Friends have moved away. It's not like you can just get an easy jet flight from Bristol Airport to wherever he is. It's not like you can set up a church WhatsApp group. Hey, Paul in prison, WhatsApp group. We love WhatsApp groups. Let's have more of them. And we just start WhatsApping him all the time, praying for you. can do any of that in those days. All we know is that everything conspired in such a way that no one was there. And perhaps you know something of that experience this morning. For whatever reason, perhaps now or in the past, you know what it is to be left alone. Gospel friendship is hard. But here's the second point. Gospel friendship isn't just hard, but gospel friendship is hardy. That is, gospel friendship can survive these things. Now, there's two friends in here that I find fascinating. Here are the two that my, my, my eye is drawn to, okay? So um, have a look with me, okay? And uh, have a look at verse 11. Interestingly, Paul says, now only Luke is with me, 
Get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. Verse 11 is the one that confuses me, okay? Come with me on a journey of confusion. Luke is with me. Brilliant. Luke, Dr. Luke, wrote the Gospel of Luke, wrote the Book of Acts, huge companion of Paul. He had seen everything. But verse 16 must include Luke. At my first defence, no one came to my support except Luke. But everybody deserted me except Luke. It doesn't say that. Luke wasn't there. Now, my hunch is Luke was one of the ones who couldn't get there. Just couldn't be there. Whatever was happening meant he couldn't be there. And I find that fascinating. You know, when you look at someone like Luke and you look at someone like Paul and you look at their friendship, you expect it to be a permanent presence of perfection. That Luke did everything right all the time and was able to do everything right all the time. Here's the reality. Friends, no matter how good they are, can't always be there for you. And it's for one of two reasons. Sometimes they literally do fail you as a friend. They make a mistake. They make a bad decision, a bad judgment, and they're not there when they should be. But sometimes they just can't be. Sometimes friends physically or emotionally or maybe even psychologically sometimes just can't be there. And this is really important when it comes to gospel friendship because we need to realize that a friend can't stick closer than a brother all times. No friend on this earth can. And what we tend to do with friendships is sometimes we create what I want to call a functional idol, a functional saviour. It's a kind of Tim Keller way of talking about things, isn't it? That is, we say, you're the one that's going to be with me all the time. You're the one that's going to support me all the time. And what we do is we get a friend and we put them up on a pedestal. We might even tell them, you're brilliant. You've been there for me when no one else has been there for me. You are wonderful. And now we start to put our hope in this person. Now, here's the reality of friendship. Once you put someone on a pedestal, you're going to be the person that pulls them down. Because no one can live up to that. Even if your friend wants to live up to that, they can't. They won't always say or do the right thing. They won't always be there. And so we need to be careful in friendship that even though we know that our gospel friendship is based on Christ, we need to remember that we shouldn't expect too much from gospel friends. They can't be there all the time. Now, what I find fascinating here is when Paul is left, and, and some people have called this, John Stott has called it Paul's Gethsemane. When he's left at this point, he goes on and says halfway through verse 16, may it not be held against them. That's a big thing to say, isn't it? No one was there. Everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. I think one of my biggest struggles in life is when someone lets me down. Can I introduce you to a theological term? It's in Welsh. Kutch. Hug. I want to hug my hurts. I want to kutch. And someone fails me and then I hold on to it. And sometimes I let that define me. And I let that dictate how I feel. What I love here is Paul says, may it not be held 
against them. It's wonderful, isn't it? They've all failed him, but his big note is, may it not be held against them, even Luke. And then the next guy, I said there was two people that stood out to me, not just Luke, but Mark. Now, Mark, I think here, Mark is John Mark. Do you remember John Mark? John Mark is the guy that gets taken on mission with Paul and Barnabas in Acts 12 and 13. Now, we don't know much about John Mark. He pops up in different places in the New Testament. I think he's the guy that runs away naked, but that's, you can discuss that over lunch, okay, whether that's him or not. And he goes on the mission field, he gets taken um, by Barnabas, who just wants to encourage everybody, goes with Paul, but very quickly on the mission field leaves. Now, some people think that the reason he left was because it was just too hard for him. He'd gone on the mission field, and now he's taken the gospel to other people, different types of people, and he's just, he just can't handle it, so he walks away. Now, he walks away. Paul, who's not perfect, seems to lose it. I think that's fair to say. Paul and Barnabas fall out over this because Barnabas is like, well, he's young, he's okay. Let's give him another go. Paul, no. No second chance. He is gone. And you actually get the first church split. Now, take that as a great defining moment for your bio. John Mark's Twitter bio would be caused the first split in the church ever. I mean, it's pretty impressive, isn't it? And so actually, and God uses this for providence, Paul and Barnabas end up going in different directions for gospel ministry. But God, it's wonderful, isn't it? He uses even our weakness um, sometimes for gospel ministry and for his glory. So John Mark is an absolute nightmare, which I find fascinating that in Paul's last ever letter, he turns up again and he says, get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. Now, here is an interesting thing about gospel friendship. Gospel friendships can break down and someone can be unhelpful. But through the power of the glory, if you say, may it not be held against them, actually with Jesus at the center of our friendships, they can come and be helpful again, which is wonderful. I love it. We need to remember here, you see, that friendships are never going to be perfect, but through God, they can be redeemed. Um, Vaughan Roberts, who is down in Oxford, has written a great little book on friendship that 10 of those publish. And this is what he writes. All relationships between sinful human beings are bound to experience tension at times. The closer the friendship, the deeper the pain that's likely to be felt when one, believer, um, when, when one believes they've been let down or betrayed by the other. If we're at fault ourselves, even if only a part, we should be quick to apologise and do all we can to put things right. I think Vaughan Roberts is on to something here. We need to realise that friendships break down. And as um, an old elder of mine always used to like to say, no matter how thinly you slice salami, there's always two sides. And actually, sometimes we need to come and look to do that. That kind of ability of Paul's here to have been let down and failed, but then to say, may it not be held against them, and then to invite Luke to come and to invite John Mark to come, that shows the glory of the gospel. You see, what's the first thing people should notice when they come in church? Wow, look how different they are. Look how they love one another. But the second thing I think people should notice is, see how they forgive one another. 
See how they love one another. So how can you do this then? If gospel friendship is hard, it's hardy. Is it just grit your teeth? Be realistic and just go for it. Well, no, I think there's something more. And here's the third and final point. Gospel friendship is heavenly. Gospel friendship is heavenly. Let's go to the most beautiful verses in this little section, and it's verses 17 and 18. Here's the height of the verses. This is beautiful. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it, and I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is what Paul is saying. Jesus is enough. Jesus was there and Jesus never let him go. Let's hear how the Bible puts it elsewhere. Proverbs 18. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. We need to understand that if you put a human up on a pedestal, no matter how amazing they are, at some point they will fail you. And can I say sometimes? People fail you and it wasn't even their fault. Someone will say to someone else, I'll always be there for you. And then they die. It's not their fault. But no one has it in them to fulfill that promise. I love the way, one more quote from Vaughan Roberts, he puts it so well. The recognition that even the best human friendships are limited is certainly not a reason to avoid them, but it's rather a spur to look beyond them to Christ. It's only as our friendships are built on him and all we receive in him that they will have the secure foundation which will enable them truly to flourish. He is the perfect friend who enables us to be true friends ourselves. Let me unpack what Vaughan Roberts is doing there because notice what happens here. Paul is left on his own. No one's there for whatever reason. Then he says, but the Lord stood at my side. He is saying that when everybody else let him down, there is one who doesn't let him down. And here's the amazing thing. That friendship in Jesus helps him to forgive the others and helps him to love them all the more. It's the friendship with Jesus that transforms all other friendships. You see, what I want you to notice is, if I was Paul, I would write this very differently. Because what did I say? I like to cut my, my feelings and people who have failed me, okay? That's my, that's my difficulty. So, if I was writing this last letter, I would say, at my first defence, no one came to me for my support. And let me list you. Luke, you weren't there. I hope you write that in your little book. John Mark, you weren't there. Typical. Second time, leper doesn't change his spots. I mean, I would go through like that. Then i say, but it's okay. Because Jesus was with me. And when you've got Jesus, you don't need anybody else. It's just me and Jesus. And you, you can all go jump. That's how I would write it. I'm just being honest. Uh, you can discuss how you're not going to invite me back to preach because I'm such a bitter man. But that's what I would do. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because that's not what he does at all. Yeah, everybody failed me for whatever reason. But Jesus was with me. He never fails me. And because of that, this shouldn't be held against anybody. Because Jesus is the one who is for us all the time. You see, Paul knew that he had spent years of his life trying to kill Christians and trying to go against Jesus. 
But Jesus has loved him even when he was someone who was running away from him. And Paul knew that he struggled. Paul knew that he was a man who at times would say, oh, wretched man that I am. I want to do the good and I do the bad. And he knew what it was to fail. He knew a kind of right view of himself. And he realized that Jesus still loved him. And because of that friendship, because he knew he was the highest maintenance of friends, he knew that he could be a friend to everybody else. Have you thought about Jesus as the greatest friend ever? We talk about this as Paul's Gethsemane. Well, what about Jesus' actual Gethsemane? When his friends couldn't stay awake to pray. That when Jesus knew what it was to face the cross, and he did that for you. Jesus became one of us, a human, so he experiences what we experience, which means when we go through trials, he's been there already. Do you ever wonder, well, Jesus doesn't know what it is to be let down by friends, or read the Gospels. He knows. Jesus doesn't know what it is to be left alone. No, no, he really does. He was left alone for us. And then more than that, not just experiencing that, but then he goes to the cross for us. Why? To pay for our failings, to pay for our rebellions, to pay for the times when we're not the friends that we should be. And then he rises from the dead. Why? To give us new life so that we can live forever and we can have not just our death taken away, but life given to us. And then he ascends to heaven. Why has he gone to heaven? Well, so that he can send us the Holy Spirit to empower us to be better friends, but also to prepare a place so that there's a time when we're going to go where no one's going to let anybody down again. And where all of us, no matter how maintenance we've been on this earth, will be welcomed. I mean, it's wonderful. And if we have a friend like that in Jesus, it will mean that when someone else fails us, yes, it will hurt. And yes, we need to be wise on those friendships. There are times. There are times when we need to recategorize people within our friendships. We've got to be so careful. There's lots of wisdom in Scripture about that. But we will be able to forgive. And we won't want it to be held against them. You see, Paul doesn't give up on friendship. So think about this last letter again. Basically, what is he doing? He's saying, you failed me. But Jesus was here, Jesus was enough, but please come. Have you ever thought about that's what he's doing? The letter isn't saying Jesus is enough, so speak to the hand, I don't need you. It's Jesus is enough, so please come. And he says it twice. Did you notice it there? Verse 9, do your best to come to me quickly. And then verse 21, do your best to get you before winter. Do you know... When Jesus is enough, you don't give up on friendship. I think you go deeper into friendship. I think friendship means all the more, but now it's put in its right place. And we can be better friends because we have the perfect friend. He can do it all for us. Friends, as we come to a close this morning, I'm about to close in prayer, but as we come to a close, I want to ask you, are you holding a failure against you? This morning, Jesus wants to take that away from you so that you can forgive them. Or perhaps, are you feeling perhaps tired in a friendship? Well, maybe this morning, Jesus wants to energize you by his spirit to love them more. Or are you having moments and times and seasons in your life 
where you're feeling all alone. Well, can I encourage you to do two things? Number one, turn to Jesus. He will be with you. But then also, turn to the ones he's put in your life. He wants to draw near to you through his people. It's not either or. It's both and. And he will transform you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it speaks so honestly about the failings of life and even Christians like us. And Father, if there's anyone here this morning who hasn't come to you as a Christian yet because they don't feel they're perfect enough, Father, I pray that you will have spoken to them this morning and shown them that we are all failures, drawn to you, and that you love us all. Father, would you speak to us? Would you minister to us? Father, would you bring healing where it's needed? Would you bring wisdom where it's needed? Father, would we shine like stars? Would we be a light shining on a hillside as we show what gospel friendship is? And we pray this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.